you're seeking biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney, husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher. Join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This is Biblical Counseling Today. If you think about it, many of our individual problems are directly linked to our responses to the suffering in our lives. When we don't respond biblically, we create new problems to solve. Consider just a few examples as we begin today. There's the man who's been addicted to alcohol and prescription medication for years. He began abusing these substances after several failed back surgeries. At first, he needed the pain medication just to survive. Now it's a true addiction. Then there's the woman who is having regular panic attacks. She has struggled with anxiety most of her life. But looking back, she had to suffer through her parents' conflicted marriage and divorce. Functionally, she became the most responsible person in her family, becoming a parent to her parents as a child. How about the young person who is depressed and suicidal? He has been regularly bullied at school and is a social outcast. He acts like he doesn't care about other people, but he struggles with the pain of extreme loneliness. Then there's the young lady who was abused as a child. She too is depressed and spends much of her time cutting herself and doing other acts of self-harm. Hopefully you get the idea. Problems such as anger, anxiety, depression, addiction, and even more complicated personality and psychotic disorders can easily emerge as poor responses to the suffering we encounter in this life. Now, this is not to say that all of our problems are the result of what other people have done to us or the bad things that have happened to us. Yet a good portion can be attributed to and caused by suffering. But we have to be careful not to think that mental and emotional problems are inevitable as a response to suffering. No, there are plenty of people who respond well to pain and suffering, avoiding falling into deeper problems. And yet we can have great sympathy for people who are dealing with emotional and mental disorders that are linked to suffering in their lives. It's definitely a challenge to respond biblically to the things that happen to us. So whether you are counseling yourself or counseling others, consider how a poor response to suffering is the fundamental cause of the the issue before you. Then you can help yourself or others to move forward towards a better biblical response. Suffering in the life of the Christian is not designed by God to produce more problems in our lives. A faithful response can actually bring in great growth to our lives. In the last episode, we looked at the life of Joseph as a model of how a Christian should respond to suffering. We also introduced this last subject of how to respond to suffering biblically and looked at how the world, i.e. Rabbi Kushner, says we should respond to suffering. But now in these last two episodes, we will look at both the unbiblical responses to suffering as well as, finally, the biblical responses. So first, we should recognize the responses to avoid as Christians. 
In other words, these are the unbiblical responses to the affliction, pain, and suffering that enters into our life. First, the Christian should not be surprised when suffering comes because he or she is a Christian. As I've said repeatedly, suffering is not incompatible with being a Christian. We need to say this repeatedly because we don't like to hear it. Listen to the words of 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 16. Peter writes, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Do you hear how Peter makes a distinction between suffering because you are a Christian and suffering that you bring on yourself because of your own sin? Take a moment and think how much of your personal suffering over the last couple of years or so has been because you are a Christian. Sometimes you will suffer at the hand of other Christians for being a Christian, for standing up for what is right. We should not be surprised that we suffer for being Christians. As Peter says, we should not find it somehow strange. Yet I think that we are often surprised when we are treated poorly or manipulated or neglected by people because of our faith. Think about it. Surprise, or again what Peter says, finding things strange, often keeps us from responding rightly. We can easily end up in self-pity when we are surprised. We are stuck in some sort of shock mode. Being shocked and outraged distracts us from responding to our suffering biblically. Then second, the Christian should not become angry with God when he suffers a loss. Jonah is a great example of a person who wrongly was angry at God. Listen to this extensive portion in Jonah chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, that is the saving of Nineveh, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under its shade till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind 
and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, it's better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry even to death. But the Lord said, you've had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? Jonah was angry with God for taking away his shade, which he didn't have anything to do with in the first place. But isn't Jonah just like us? When discomfort comes, we can quickly get angry and turn that anger at God even for really trivial problems like too much sun on a hot day. Now, why was Jonah really angry? Well, his anger came from the desperate need to be in control, and he knew that God was and he wasn't. Isn't that where our anger and suffering offering comes from? Being angry with God is sinful because it's born from a desire to control our own lives or the thinking that God is somehow not controlling our lives well, or even sinning against us. In his perfect holiness, God cannot and will not wrong you in any way. On top of all that, Jonah was angry at God for being a compassionate, forgiving God. We too can falsely come to believe that God is somehow too lenient on wrongdoers, or too patient with all the terrible sinners in this world. Whatever the reason you are angry towards God, anger towards God is always an unbiblical response to suffering, no matter what your suffering is all about. And then third, the Christian should not doubt God's love or dwell in self-pity when disappointments and other forms of suffering come. The nation of Israel often complained and doubted God's love for them as they wandered in the wilderness. Even though they were constantly provided for, when suffering came, they did not really believe God was caring for them well. This is the essence of what is wrong with complaining and griping and moaning. It's actually the Christian dwelling in self-pity, feeling sorry for ourselves, rather than believing and trusting God. Consider for a moment what is so damaging about self-pity in the life of the believer. First, it takes our eyes off God and puts them on ourselves. Then it will lead us to seek out idols that can relieve our pain and suffering better than God is. And then after that, it will make us into victims in this life, victims of other people and victims of even God himself. And then finally, God just keeps getting smaller in our eyes. His kingdom seems to be failing not winning. Self-pity ultimately makes us earthbound in our thinking and not heavenbound at all. Self-pity rejects the truth that God is love. Okay, let's get back to our list of unbiblical responses to suffering that we must all avoid. Here's the fourth one. The Christian should not jump to hasty conclusions about his suffering. For this point, we must always remember Job's friends. 
who gave very superficial answers in the midst of their friend's suffering. Even answers that you and I might find pretty reasonable. Let's go through just a couple of examples. First, listen to Job 4, 7, and 8. This is one of Job's friends, and he says, Remember now, whoever perished being innocent? Or where were the upright ever cut off? Even as I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Do you hear the generalization here and all the presumption? This friend says, whoever perished for being innocent. What is he talking about? A lot of people are innocent victims of the evil of others. Of course, none of us are innocent of sin or without sin. But this friend makes it sound like bad things only happen to bad people. He even says it. He says, those who plow iniquity are the ones who reap trouble. Do you explain the suffering of others this way? That they're only suffering because they deserve it? How do you know? Here's another example from another of Job's friends from Job chapter 11, verses 13 through 20. He says to Job, if you would prepare your heart and stretch out your hands toward him, if iniquity were in your hand and you put it far away and would not let wickedness dwell in your tents, then surely you could lift up your face without spot. Yes, you could be steadfast and not fear because you would forget your misery and remember it as waters that have passed away and your life would be brighter than noonday. Though you were dark, you would be like the morning. And you would be secure because there's hope. Yes, you would dig around and take your rest in safety. You would also lie down and no one would make you afraid. Yes, many would court your favor. But the eyes of the wicked will fail and they shall not escape. And their hope, loss of life. Now this one of Job's friends sounds like he's singing that song from Annie. The sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar on tomorrow. Of course, things will get better, Job, if you just confess your sins and somehow beg for mercy. If you don't, Job, you'll just suffer more. Again, the underlying presumption here is that Job deserved his suffering. Even worse, the assumption is he somehow has control over his suffering. If he simply approaches God right, his suffering will go away. It'll disappear. He'll get over it. Too much counsel given to people is that they are somehow in control of anything bad that happens to them. So whether it's your own suffering or of someone around you, be careful not to make hasty summary judgments about the causes of their suffering. If you remember, the Lord God was very angry with Job's friends for their mistreatment of Job. You and I must be very careful as well. And then fifth, the Christian should not blame God because of a disappointment. Now, this is similar to being angry with God, but one step stronger. Listen to John 11, verses 21 and 32. This is the story of the death of Lazarus. Now, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Then down in verse 32, when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So we hear Mary and Martha blame Jesus for the death of their brother and their subsequent suffering. 
If he would have been here, he wouldn't have died, Jesus. Just think of how outrageous it is to blame Jesus for Lazarus's death. Like Jesus didn't care or that he didn't take it seriously. Of course, we can say this was Mary and Martha's grief talking. And we often do the same in our own suffering and grief. But this doesn't make it right or helpful, even if it is understandable. Remember that Rabbi Kushner says that we cannot blame God because he's not in control of the universe. He has nothing to do with bad things that happen in this world. So Kushner would agree not to blame God, but for much different reasons. He would rebuke Mary and Martha for believing Jesus had such power to raise the dead. Christians, on the other hand, understand that the Bible teaches that God is in total control of his universe, total control of life and death, and he fordains whatever comes to pass. But as Christians, we do not blame him for all of our suffering because blaming implies wrongdoing on God's part. God does not sin. Now, one famous Christian evangelist who I will not name, but I've heard many times, used to preach that we must forgive God for the bad things that he fails to stop in our lives. He believed that this was a healthy exercise to avoid deep anger at God. Again, this thinking is built on a faulty premise that God can somehow sin. And then point number six, the Christian should not allow himself to fall into depression when he suffers. Now, you may think that that sounds very uncaring and judgmental. How can a person not allow himself to fall into depression? Now, I'm not referring to all types of depressions. That's for my first season podcast on depression. What I'm specifically thinking about here is the temptation to become depressed due to some sort of suffering that enters your life. Listen to Psalm 42, verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. The psalmist knew the importance of resisting the temptation of falling into depression by putting hope in God instead. Again, this does not mean that the Christian will not ever be sad or discouraged when pain and trial and tribulation hits. Sadness or discouragement on their own are not sinful. Why? Because they don't cross the line of faith and hope in the Lord. Again, for a refresher, listen to my podcast on depression from the first season. In other words, I can be sad, but still trust God in my situation. I can still be sad and put my hope in him. This means that we should not be in despair or even despondent. True depression over suffering is a loss of hope in God and what he has done and what he will do. This sort of depression must be avoided by the Christian. And then seventh, fear is not a biblical option in a response to the problem of suffering. Listen to 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And also 1 John 4, verse 18. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. 
Fear only paralyzes us so we'll not respond rightly to our suffering. Fear comes upon us when we turn from faith in Christ. Fear attempts to control the situation instead of trusting God to control it. Again, sinful fear is not an option for the Christian, even when a situation or relationship is fear-provoking. As we grow in love for God, we can turn from our fears and enjoy the comfort that comes from the God of all comfort. Now, we could certainly add to this list of unbiblical responses, but I think these summarize the typical temptations we have as Christians. We are always supposed to be learning to put off wrong responses so we can put on right responses to suffering that will glorify God and continue to sanctify us. So take some time and make an assessment of how you are currently responding to any suffering in your life. Confess those sins that have resulted in any poor response. And then next time, we'll finish this season on suffering with the biblical responses we're to put on as Christians. I wish I could promise an end to your suffering after the end of this series, but then you wouldn't be able to continue growing in grace. God bless. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.